This is the Women's Hockey Life Podcast. Welcome to the Women's Hockey Life Podcast, empowering women and girls in hockey. We're going to be talking in depth about what it really takes to be unstoppable on the ice and in life. Okay, we're going to be looking at the mindset of some of the most successful women as they mastered the game and went on to even bigger successes in life, all because they mastered it. All right, this podcast is being brought to you guys by our friends over at the Hockey News. Head over to THN.com backslash deal to subscribe to their magazine. Now, the big intro for our guest here today. Joining us is Michaela Boyle, who is a current student and member of the Boston College Eagles. Michaela, welcome to the show. How's it going? Good. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. I absolutely love you. I've known you. I feel like I met you when you were like 10 or 11 at Northeastern's rink. You were with Angela Ruggiero. I met you there. You did some blogs with us, the Women's Hockey Life, and, and we've kind of kept in touch throughout the years. And following your career, I'm like, you need to get on this podcast because and everybody listening and watching, you're going to you're going to hear it from her, her mouth. But you have been through the ringer ups and downs. And um, I mean, I, I'll let you kind of tell the story, the background of who you are and, and your playing career up up until B.C. Yeah. Um, so I actually started playing hockey when I was nine years old. I was late to the game. Um, I had no interest. I loved watching it. My dad was working as the strength and conditioning coach at Boston University. Um, he was there for 25 years. And the poor guy, he's cheering for the Eagles now. Took a little bit of adjusting for him. But um, I had no desire to play. I thought the equipment smelled. Like, I just wasn't into it. And then um, my, like, second grade best friend played hockey. And I slept over her house. And she had a game the next day. So I had to wake up at you know, those early morning, like 6 a.m., 7 a.m. games. And I went and watched, and I remember going home and telling my dad, hey, I want to play hockey. Like, I want I want to be on that team. And so that next year, I went to tryouts. I couldn't stop, and I couldn't skate backwards. And, you know, like youth tryouts, they're um, <clears throat> like, oh, backwards to the cone and pivot and open up. And, like, I was using the boards to stop me, like, crashing into it. Um, yeah. And I like looked at one of the coaches and I was like, I want to be on your team. She was like the U19 coach. And I was like, okay, I had no idea what was going on. Um, <clears throat> but kind of just like have been in love with it ever since. Uh, played in Reading. I'm from Massachusetts. So played Reading youth hockey um, up until I was 12. Um, played one year of boys hockey. It was the last year that you could check in Pee Wees before they changed the rule. And I think that year of hockey made me like the physical player that I am today it it taught me you know how to how to give a hit and how to receive a hit and be prepared for contact and now you know whatever 15 years later that's like one of the biggest assets I have in my game and so I think that choice was one of the better ones that I made um went over to the Islanders Hockey Club and played for Stephanie Wood from seventh grade until my sophomore year of high school. Um, I also played at Austin prep for two years, uh, while I was playing for the Islanders. So I was eighth and ninth grade. Um, and then my sophomore year, I decided to go play for the Boston Shamrocks full season U19 team. So I spent my sophomore year and junior year there. And then, um, the beginning of my senior year, and there was some stuff going on there and I just I wasn't happy I didn't love hockey as much as I used to and I had committed to Clarkson um 
early in my sophomore year of high school. And I was just like sad. I was like, I thought that like, this was the game that I was supposed to love and I'm supposed to go to college and play. And, and I didn't really know what was going on. And I kind of thought it was like a me problem. Like I was like, what am I doing wrong that I don't love it? And so um, in Reading, high school hockey starts right after Thanksgiving. <clears throat> and so it was just around that time. My dad's like, why don't you go play for Reading? Why don't you just go play in front of your friends, in front of your town? If you've never done that. I was like, you know what? Like, fine, I'll do it. And that was one of the most fun years of hockey that I've ever had. Um, definitely was a step down competition wise. But what I gained in the sense of like falling in love with hockey again was so worth it. Um, I was so it was something I had never done. You know, people from my town were watching me play for the first time since I was like 12 years old. And I just thought that was like so cool. And the girls were awesome. And so that was that was just a cool experience in and of itself. And then uh, headed to Clarkson, spent the 2017-2018 the season my freshman year. At Clarkson, we won the national championship that year, which was a really, really cool experience. It was no big that, deal. No big yeah. deal. Yeah. No, it was, it was wild. It was like, I still, to this day, I'm like, feel like it's still a blur. Like, it, it was just, it was one of those experiences that like, you can't really describe in words. Yeah. Um, and then went back to Clarkson for my sophomore year and three, three games in to that season, I got a season ending shoulder injury. And so I had to have my right shoulder reconstructed and all that stuff. So um, kind of after that surgery, it was the first time in my life where I felt like lost, felt like I had no purpose because I couldn't play hockey. And it was just something that like I had never dealt with before. Um, and that's when wrote my big my big article on uh women's hockey life and that was that was hard that was one of the one of the more hard articles to write just because I was so vulnerable about the place that I was in and so um it was hard for me to kind of put into words what I was feeling because I didn't really even understand it myself but the amount of support and feedback I got from that article I remember telling my dad I was like I don't even care if like if a lot of people read it. And I was like, I think, I don't even care what people think of me after I was like, as long as like one person, as long as one person is helped by this. And I will never forget. I got a DM from on Instagram from a girl played hockey in Rhode Island. And she just was like, thank you. Like, I, I don't even know how to put it into words. Like, thank you for this. Like I have struggled with injury and this is you, you summed up everything I was feeling. And it was just nice to feel like I wasn't alone for the first time. And I was like, that made it all worth it. Yeah. And so well, that was a really you. cool experience. Yeah, <laughs> no, thank, thank you for being vulnerable. Like that, it, it is hard to write, especially when you're in that like moment of despair or uncertainty or trying to figure out what's the next step for you to put yourself out there like that. Like you said, it helped a ton of people. It got a ton of traffic. And, and like you said, people are messaging you. So kudos to you for, for being willing to do that. Yeah. And I mean, I think. Oh God, I think it was back in 2011, maybe I, I wrote my first article on women's hockey life about what it was like to train alongside the women's national team. Cause my dad was working with the Olympic team right after the 2010 Olympics. And I think that that experience is really what made me want to be, to take that next step and become a college hockey player. And I remember I was always, my dad was always like, you need to be so thankful that you're getting this experience. You know, people would die for this experience. And 
and you get it and you just need to make sure that like one day like you give that same thing back to other people and I think through that writing that first article I really realized that I had a talent for writing (laughs) and then moving into that article that I wrote you know about my my injury and overcoming adversity I really realized I was like holy like I I can really write (laughs) and my dad always he always is like you're such wasted talent he's like you for a girl who says she can't read like you write like no other and I was like I'm sorry like I don't know what to tell you it just kind of comes to me when it comes to me and so I think that the writing that I've done with Women's Hockey Life has really kind of inspired me and and I do want to write a book one day about my journey and I'll, I'll get back to the rest of that um sophomore year just getting hurt three games into the season and having to have that shoulder surgery um just felt like I I had lost kind of my purpose not being able to to be a part of you know the on ice stuff um and it definitely it takes a toll on like your mental health and your just your overall like healing process like there was no motivation for me because my rehab couldn't even start until a month after I had the surgery. I was in a sling. I was literally useless. My teammates were washing my hair, cooking for me, you know, driving me everywhere. And I just was the first time in my life that I just like hated just the situation I was in. And so I made the choice to leave Clarkson and I went and met with my coaches and I told them and I said, that I wanted to tell my teammates myself. And I think that was the biggest thing for me was I wanted to leave and let them hear my story and why I was leaving. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done to sit there and look 23 people in the eyes and, and feel like a quitter. It was just so, I just was so like not okay with feeling like a quitter then I was like, I'm not quitting because I just, I'm slowly losing myself. I'm simply just making a choice to better myself moving forward. And so that was something I really had to adjust to was the idea of I wasn't quitting. I was just bettering myself overall. Um, so that semester, uh, second semester of my sophomore year, I moved home back in with my parents, which was an adjustment (laughs) being back under mom and dad's roof. And, you know, it, it was hard to adjust back to like rules and like people caring about where you were and things like that. But um, I couldn't have done it without my parents. They were amazing support um, friends to me when I needed it, but I knew I needed to be home in order to reach my best potential because of just the resources that I had, you know, with my dad and, and just in the city of Boston, you know, you have everything you need here. And that was one of the biggest factors of me coming home. Um, and so my recovery was supposed to be six to nine months. I got back on the ice at just a little over three months, non-contact, uh, just stick handling skating around in circles and then slowly kind of moved back into the the real the real stuff you know shooting and and everything like that but as I got back into that shooting and hockey I got so hyper focused on hockey I forgot that I was still dealing with an injury 
And I kind of hit this like standstill point where I wasn't getting any better and I wasn't understanding why. And it was because I had kind of forgotten about the rehab portion and that when someone says you need to do your shoulder exercises to strengthen those muscles, like you have to do them because you're literally working with something that you're building back from the ground up. And so kind of had to take a step back and (laughs) sorry, not to cut you off, but that's huge for anybody listening to this or watching this, that is recovering from an injury. It's like, okay, great. You can get back on the ice, but you still got to do the rehab to rebuild that muscle and the memory and everything. Yeah. And I, I remember my dad sitting me down and saying, you literally don't need to be able to play hockey until like the end of September. He's like, that's when your first game will be. So I don't know why you're rushing this. You need to actually be diligent and take the time and make sure you're doing everything you can to get your shoulder back to where it needs to be. He was like, cause if you don't do that, the hockey is never going to be the same. Patience. Yeah. And I am, anyone in my life can tell you that I am so impatient. I am the worst. Like if there, if someone's like, Oh, I need to tell you something later. I'm like, no, you need to tell me now. Like, I, I can't wait till later. Like I, I need to know whatever it is right this second. Oh, I love it. It's just like, it's, that's how I've been my whole life. But so while I was going through all of this um, with my shoulder, I was also trying to find a new school. Yep. And when I tell you it was, everything would look amazing. And then all of a sudden ball would drop. Nope. Sorry. Can't take you. Mm, you're just not good enough. Mm, you know, you're, you're fine. You're just as average as everyone else we have. You're not a superstar. That was something I got told. You're just, you're just as average as everyone else and you're not a superstar. And I was like, you know what? Okay. And then, um, hold on a second. How did that actually make you feel though? You're coming from Clarkson having won a national championship and now you're being told you're not good enough. Like mentally, oh. what did that do to you? It, it destroyed me. I have, I literally remember thinking, wow, I never want to go through this ever again. You know, fast forward, I did have to go through it again, but during that time I have never felt more discouraged. And the other hard part was, you know, while I was at Clarkson, I wasn't, I wasn't the player that I wanted to be. And my film wasn't showing the things that I was really good at because I just didn't have that opportunity there. And so it's hard to, to tell someone, I know you see that, but like, I'm capable of X, Y, and Z. It's like, you can say all you want, but it okay. just depends on who's going to give you the opportunity. And I'll never forget. I woke up one morning and I looked at my dad and I was like, I think it might be time to start looking division three. Like, I think at this point I've exhausted all of, my options. And as hard as that is for me to accept, I, I think that's might be where I need to, to start looking. Um, and so I would say not even two hours later, but 412 number coming up on my phone. And I'm like, who is 412? Like, I have never even heard of that. Which state is this? (laughs) Yeah. My dad's like, just answer it. So I pick up the phone and lo and behold, it's Logan Biddle um, at Robert Morris University. And Logan was the sole reason why I became the hockey player that I am today. Um, Without him, I would not be here. 
oh, I get emotional talking about him. He took a chance on me and he literally said, just give her a shot. Just take her and I promise you she won't let you down. And he looked me dead in the face and he said, I, I, I put my back out for you. Like, let's go. Like, show him what you got. And so that next fall, I went to Robert Morris and I'll never forget this. I, Logan will laugh about this when he hears it, but like the second week of practice, I came in and I had a black jersey in my stall. And everyone knows who wears black jerseys. It's the defense. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, I just transferred to this school as a forward. And here I am. This, this man is putting me in a black jersey at practice. I, you know, marched myself down to his office and I said, huh? Like, what is this? And he was like, no, I really think you're going to be a really good defenseman. And I was like, are you out of your mind? Like, I was like, you have to be like insane. I was like, I am, I am not a defenseman. I, was, I am. No. He was like, just try it. Uh, for any hockey players out there, we did the three one-on-ones. Ha- I, I was crying. I was just getting like, I looked, they should have put me in an orange jersey because I would have looked just like a cone. And I literally looked at him crying and I was like, uh, uh, like I had, I couldn't even speak. And that didn't last that long. Um, I came back, I think the next week and I, I was back in a forward jersey, but I just remember being like, oh my God, like, what? My parents were like, you know what? You transferred there. It's a, it's a new opportunity. Maybe your new opportunity is a new position. And I was like, no, there's no way. Like, no, not for me. And my dad was like, Michaela, like he, he gave you this chance. Like you got to roll with it. Like, all right, whatever. So I went back, played forward. And then um, I remember it was like the first, it was like the week before our first exhibition game. And, you know, we finally got lines and they were going to do power play and penalty kill and all these things. I was on the third line. I wasn't on a power play unit. I wasn't on a penalty kill unit. And I was like, wow, like, this kind of sucks. And I don't like it. Like I want, I want to be out there. I want to be doing more. And so that was kind of the moment where I was like, you know what, like I need to take it into another gear and really show them what I'm capable of and play that exhibition game. And my first shift I scored It ended up getting called no goal. It ended up getting called back, no goal, but I scored. And even though it got called back, no goal, I just like confidence. I had this like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then um, I randomly got put out on the penalty kill with uh, JC Gebhard and we ended up scoring a shorthanded goal. She made like a beautiful tap and pass to me back door, but that was, that was kind of the start of my success at RMU. I was so fortunate enough to play with um, JC Gebhardt and Lexi Templeman my first year, who are two of not just the most phenomenal hockey players I've ever played with, but people as well. Yeah. Let's let me just unpack a couple of things, what you just said yeah. from, from obviously leaving Clarkson. Mm-hmm. I have to now look for a new school. I'm not good enough. No one wants me. You're hearing no, 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 no. You finally let go of all of that resistance and told your dad, hey, let's look at D3 schools. Now there's no negative energy attached to that. There's no, you know, your outcome changed. And then two Mm -hmm. hours later, you get a phone call for what you'd always were hoping for, another shot at D1. Mm -hmm. Like that is such a, 
massive piece of all of this of what you think you want may not be what you want or what you get. But as soon as you let go of that resistance to it is when opportunities then present themselves, right? You're not attached to the outcome. Yeah. No, it was that the transfer process, it was, it was so mentally draining. Like you said, like, no, 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 no. You're not good enough. You know, you're fine. Like, but you're not, you're not next level. Yep. And I was like, maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. And Self-doubt creeps in. Yeah. And I really went through a lot of just like self-doubt and just like, again, like same thing, like purpose. I was like, who am I? Like, what, what am I supposed to be doing then? Like hockey has been what I've loved and what I've done for 10 years now. And now I'm, I'm not good enough. Like it was a lot and it mentally, like it did hurt me. But I think, like you said, when I kind of made that choice to accept the fact that maybe I needed to look at division three schools and then that call from Robert Morris came, it was, it was like a no, it became a no brainer and I didn't care. I didn't care because it was just an opportunity. It was a chance. It's and like being, sorry, go ahead. No. And it's just like trusting the process as like, I used to hate when people would say, you know, you just have to trust the process, trust that it'll all work out. But I found myself in a few, you know, you have to just trust the process situations now. And as much as it stinks in the moment to hear someone say that it's so true. Like you never know what's going to happen. And you just have to trust that wherever or whatever happens is meant to happen, good or bad. And you just have to make the most of what you're given. What you're destined for is going to come to you one way or the other. It's just dependent on how much resistance you put towards it that gives you the time frame as to when you get it. Like you got it literally two hours later after you let go of that. Right. And then it's like it, you keep being tested with, am I good? Am I good enough? Am I enough? Am I skilled enough to play here? It's like, you go to Robert Morris and you're on the third line and, and it's like a wake up call, right? Like, Oh, I know I'm better than this. And mm-hmm. it's, you're getting that nudge to keep trying and pushing yourself harder. And then you did, and then you just took your game to a next, the next level. And mm-hmm. right. You're getting the minutes that the points and everything, and you're contributing to the team now. Yeah. That has to be good. Yeah, no, it did. And I think that obviously, like I said, like those two players that I played with, like they made me a better hockey player but they also made me a more JC made me a more mentally stronger player because she didn't take any BS. She wanted your best and only your best every single day when you showed up to the rink. And if you weren't competing at your best, she would tell you. And that was hard for me to adjust to at first because I, I was almost afraid and then I was super motivated, but then I would make a mistake and it wasn't good enough. And it, that was hard. But now looking Like she raised my mental game, which is something that I needed. And she pushed me to reach the potential of what I had. And that was something that I was not grateful for in the moment because some days I just, I didn't understand. I was like, can you just like chill out? Like, and we joke about it now, you know, I, my secret Santa gift was a stress ball with her face on it. Like, like she, and it was just a big joke. And, and the thing was, as soon as her skates came off, the sweetest, nice, most laid back, calm person in the world. Yeah. I was like, something happens when you put your skates on. And she was like, yeah, she was like, you know what happens? 
I want to be the best. She was like, I want to be the best every single time I step on the ice and you contribute to that. She's like, and I'm going to make you better because of it. Yep. And I definitely next level. Yeah. Yeah. And she, and she does. And she was meticulous and hardworking and dedicated that girl. I, I, half of the goals she scored, I could have told you, I saw her do that 20 times before practice. Like she just, she just knew exactly what she needed to do to be the best. And, you know, good for her. Like she was the best. She was amazing. And she's over in Sweden now. And, and I think that's why our line worked as well as it did because Lexi was more calm and laid back and, and kind of just like almost was like nurturing when JC would be a little bit harsh on me or harsh on us. She was like, it's okay. Like, we're fine. Like we're here for a reason. And that's, that's Lexi. She's very calm and like you even see it in her game like she's very poised with the puck and she's very calm and laid back and she she sees things that other people don't and like I always say to my dad I was like that was they the way we all played together it was almost like a sixth sense like we just it didn't even need to like call for the puck almost like it it became so weird it was like a, a connection that we all three really had and that was that was really cool hockey to play because it was just like we were out there playing in three separate bodies, but with one mind. I love it. The chemistry was there. You guys found it and you made it work. And like you said, it was that sixth sense. You just knew where everybody was. So, okay. So you're at Robert Morris university now. Mm -hmm. What comes next? COVID. We lose in the championship game of the CHA finals in overtime. We were out playing Mercyhurst up and down the ice for 50 minutes. And we had two kind of five minute weird sections where we just weren't, we weren't on our game goes into overtime. They score. So it's like, Oh my God, it's done. We go back to school a couple days. Boom. Everyone gets sent home for COVID. So not only did our season just end, but now we're forced to say goodbye to all of each other when we didn't even know that this was, you know, these last three days were going to be our last time as a team. So that was hard because it's like people are shipping it back to Canada and, and all across the United States. And it was just like, what is going on? Like, where's everyone going? And so, you know, everyone went home, dealt with COVID. I went back to Boston um, with Kayla Barnes, my best friend. She lived with us and made quarantine for each other a lot better. Having someone else kind of helped us stay motivated and just like companionship, honestly. Um summer of COVID and then it was back to Robert Morris and I I'm not going to spoil the ending just yet (laughs) but it almost felt too good to be true like everything about everything was going well you know our team chemistry we were so close because COVID we weren't really supposed to hang out with other people besides our social bubble as they called it And so it was team all the time. And it was the first time where I was okay with that. Like I usually need some separation and some, some space from teammates just because I need to be by myself. But I, I just loved every single person in that room and loved showing up to the rink every day. And so we go into the CA, we play the regular season all the way through, um, we end up finishing third 
It's the first time in, I think, five years Robert Morris hadn't finished at least one or two in the CHA. So in the CHA, that means you have to play a quarterfinal game. You don't get the first round by. So we head up to Erie. We play RIT in the quarterfinals, and we win 4 nothing. We're like, all right, we got our legs under us. Like, let's go. Game two, semifinals, Mercyhurst. It's like everyone was so hyped up for that game, just knowing how it had gone the year before and just the natural, you know, Robert Morris, Mercyhurst um, battle. Um, we end up winning 3-2 in overtime. Crazy game. Like, insane. Just like we were, again, dominating. Yeah, and we were we were dominating, and, and nothing was kind of falling in, in the ways that we needed it to. I think we hit a couple posts. Like, their D made great plays. Like, we were just like, but no one ever lost the faith. Like, we all knew we were winning that game. And so we end up winning in overtime. And then we were the early game. Or we were the late game. So Syracuse and Penn State had played before, and Syracuse had upset Penn State. We had lost four times to Penn State that season. So we were all like, as soon as we kind of saw that it was Syracuse, we were like, let's go. Like, this is our time. This is our year to win. And go to the championship game, first period, just like the most funky bounce off the boards on a broken play, and our defense ends up as F3 and just whacks a puck in the net. Just untouched, wax the puck into the net by herself. We go up one nothing. We we win. We beat Syracuse one nothing. It's the first time Robert Morris had won the CHA in I think three or or at least four years because our seniors had never won during their time. They'd made it to the finals every year and had lost. So then it's like, oh my god, we won the CHAs and now we're going to the NCAA tournament. Like this is sick. Um. We went back to school, did the whole selection show, everything, and then it was back to Erie again the next weekend to play Northeastern. And we ended up losing to Northeastern. I think it was 5-1. to one, But that score doesn't dictate the way the game was. It was a lot closer than 5-1. Um, and we never kind of lost hope at all throughout that whole process. We kind of just showed up and played our game. We knew it was going to be a, a tough game. Like, I mean, Northeastern ends up as the, you know, national runner-up. And it's, like, pretty cool to say, you know, we got to play them and stuff. But um, we headed home after that game. And Logan tells the team that he's leaving, that he took the job with the Pennsylvania U16 and U19 teams. And everyone assumes that I knew that I knew this was coming and I was blindsided by it. I had no idea. And I had asked him, I remember I, he said, he brought it up after I was like, are you leaving me? I told you you couldn't leave me until after I graduated. He was like, no, what are you talking about? But it ends up, his wife ends up giving uh, birth to their second son, like the day before we went to play Northeastern. So he had a lot going on, but he, uh, our season ends. Logan's leaving we just kind of carry on as, as you would with the spring and um, spring training and everything and no signs of anything weird going on, you know, Oh, see you soon from our administrators. Like 
insane. And so I ended up staying in Pittsburgh for like three weeks after school ended. And I left Pittsburgh on May 24th and I went home. May 26th rolls around. I go to the gym in the morning. I decide I'm going to go lay by my cousin's pool because it's hot out and I want to get a tan. All of a sudden I get this weird text and it says very important zoom call at 1:45. It's 12:45, And I'm like, this is weird. Like what's going on? I'm like, maybe we'll see, maybe we're seeing our CHA rings. Like maybe they're showing us our CHA rings or some COVID protocols for next year. Like there's nothing bad that can happen. And then people start talking to other athletes and we realize that it's only men's and women's hockey on the call. And I'm like, maybe they're redoing our rink because they were redoing the track right outside the rink. So maybe we're getting a brand new rink. Like, I love the optimism. <laughs> but what yeah, really they, happened? But, <laughs> um, they cut the men's and women's hockey programs at Robert Morris on a seven-minute Zoom call with the president. And he planned it so perfectly that he only allotted 10 minutes between Zoom call with us and Zoom call with the rest of the administration and uh, all the other coaches. So there was no time to ask questions. Call was supposed to be at 145. They let us in at 150, talked to us until 157, and then they had their next call at two. Um, The emotions I felt during that moment when I realized that I had just lost my favorite place in the whole world was one of the worst things I've ever gone through in my whole life. Like the worst, hands down. It was and like, I finally, you'd been through yeah. a lot up to this point. Yeah. And you finally find your place and your people and in the blink of an eye, it's all gone. And that doesn't exist anymore. So obviously the first person I call is my dad and I tell him and he had like literally no words. He was like, I, I, I don't even know what to say. And I just like, I remember just like crying. Before I could even hang up the phone with my dad, which maybe was a five-minute phone call conversation, it had already hit social media. And that began the, I think it was like almost eight months of help for all of us as players, the coaches, all of Robert Morris, because it, there was no explanation and every explanation you got was contradicted by the last thing that he said or the next thing the president said um so yeah so then it's like holy shit here i am again what do i do yeah literally you never you school number two now you gotta transfer again yeah so wait what year are you at this point i was going i was going into my senior year of college but we're given an extra year of eligibility because of COVID, right? Because so of COVID. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, you know, you're, you're heading into senior year, like best year, senior year, whatever. Like this is going to be awesome. All my friends, you know, my line mate Lexi was coming back for her extra year of eligibility. Like we got the squad, like whatever. And then it's gone. And it's not only like, you're not only worried about yourself, but you're worried about all the other people too. You're like, oh my God. And meanwhile, like that, that Zoom call that they gave us an hour notice for, some people weren't even on the call. So they found out they on had to work media. social media, which is like the most sickening and disheartening thing I could ever imagine. Like 
blows my mind to this day. I will never understand it. But yeah, so here I am again, and I have to find another place to go to school. And so my dad immediately starts, you know, trying to contact people, see what's what's going on. And it's almost the exact same situation as it was last time. We're full. Um, You're a senior. Our school doesn't take senior transfers. Oh, you have too many credits to come in as a senior, but you have too many credits to finish to come in in the fall as a graduate student. So here I am playing pinball again, like bouncing between all these different options, calls, everything like that. And time after time after time, I'm let down, I'm let down, I'm let down. Oh, maybe like, let's check with admissions. Nope, sorry. So it's just like, I was back to where I was when I was leaving Clarkson. But the thing that I remember vividly about it was how much stronger I felt going through it this time. And I think that was the best thing for me was that I realized like you could see the growth that you literally took as a human. Yeah. And that was, that was cool. Even though it sucked. Yeah. It was cool, but it sucked. Yeah. Yeah. Like best of both worlds, but that, that is pretty significant that you can be triggered again, literally triggered from an experience you had a couple of years ago and not crumble and understand that everything happens for a reason. This will work out. Something will come from this. And you, you didn't quit. Yeah, no, I was no stranger to adversity. And that's what I always say. I actually have a tattoo of the word strength on my wrist and it stands for find strength and adversity. And I remember looking down and being like, I have this word tattooed on me. Like I better live up to it. Like I need to be strong, not only for myself, but for other people. Yeah. And I'm not going to let this again, be something that defines me. Yeah. So, so yeah, what happened? Up- how did you end up at Boston college? I ended up at Boston College um, kind of a little bit randomly. It kind of popped up out of out of nowhere. Um, but it was between Minnesota and, and Boston College, and I was really, really struggling with the thought of having to go to a new place and start over for a third time. I emotionally just couldn't wrap my head around it, you know, they do an amazing job with their recruiting. They send me like these amazing videos and like everything like that. And I think had it been two years before, I probably would have loved it and I would have gone and it would have been amazing. But I was so drained from starting over and having to reinvent myself. I remember looking at my dad, I was like, I might be crazy for saying this, but I, I, I can't do it. I was like, I can't go thousands of miles away from home again and start over. I was like, I've already had to do that twice. I was like, that's just like not something that's interesting to me. and so Boston College became an option and I decided that my dream since I was a little kid was to play in Boston so isn't that funny you dreamt of that as a kid maybe that was the whole path that you were supposed to be on and that's how you got there exactly I mean it's it it's a journey that's you know it's all about the journey 100% (laughs) couldn't have said it better myself yeah um And I think that, well, now, so I'm here at Boston College right now, but I had to spend first semester finishing my undergrad from Robert Morris online. So I took eight classes this fall (laughs) on top of training and skating and working all to lead up to, you know, this second semester at BC, and then I'll have all of next year. And it was a lot. First semester tested, tested me a lot. And it was hard because I went through that almost that same feeling of, 
struggle and not having a purpose and feeling like, what am I doing? But um, the Boston Pride, it was my biggest savior this year. So it is not illegal through the NCAA to practice with a professional team as long as you receive no compensation for what you're doing. Um, so I would drive myself to Thayer Academy in Braintree, Massachusetts for the 9 and 9.30 practices three nights a week. And I, I loved every second of it. I, I loved it. And I was so fortunate for those people because I don't, I think without them, I would have gone insane. You know, I went and, and supported them at their games and they gave me a team when I really needed it most. Yeah. Yeah. And talk about getting resourceful, getting creative. How can I get on the ice? How can I still practice with elite players so that I'm ready for the second half of the season? Yeah. Um, well, it was, it was really hard. I, I skate at um, Elevato to Boston, which is originally started in Stovermont. And now they kind of, they made a new facility in Boston that opened this past summer. And so kind of just continued skating there which was small like private skill stuff but at some point I was like dad like I need to do something like I I was like I can't just do these like small skills by myself for six months or four months and think that I'm going to be okay come January and he was like you're right and I was like you know what I'm going to call coach Mara at the Boston Pride and I kind of left this little piece of information out but after my shoulder surgery when I was returning to play I did the same thing where I went and practiced with them. But at that point I wasn't really able to do like contact drills or anything. It was more just like getting myself on the ice. But this was the first time that I had been able to, you know, fully partake in, in drills and be a part of that. And, you know, those are some high intensity practices. Like they, they're, it's no joke. (laughs) And I mean, it's, it's women's professional hockey and, and they work like professionals. That's awesome. Um, And I think that, aside from the hockey stuff, like the friendships that I gained and like the people that I met and leaned on when like the days were hard and things like that, like that's a part of the journey. Yeah. You have quite the journey. I I have to say (laughs) it's a lot. I feel like we could talk for hours about this, but when you sitting where you are today, you look back on your whole college recruiting process right? Mm-hmm. From picking a school, transferring, getting to another school, program gets cut, <laughs> now you're at your third school. Oh, let's yeah. toss in COVID amongst all that. Is there, is there anything that you would have done differently um, that you can advise any, you know, high school age player now hoping to get recruited or, you know, have aspirations to be a collegiate student athlete? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I don't think I would have changed a thing because it's made me the person that I am today and it's made me stronger. It's made me a more caring and compassionate person, but it's also made me harder, like more, just like more like susceptible to change. Like it, it's just taught me so many things that being patient. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. There's some patience in there, but it's just taught me so much that I, obviously would love for Robert Morris never to get cut and that that program still existed but I I'm living out a childhood dream right now of playing in Boston in front of my parents and and my family and friends and so for me I wouldn't change anything but I think the biggest piece of advice that I would give to a high school student or anyone who's interested in being recruited 
is I think it would be to remember your worth even on the days where you don't seem worth it. Um, there were a lot of times where I let the things that other people said or choices that coaches made and things that happened affect my whole mood and how my happiness worked and how I lived my life. And I lost sight of the fact that like, I'm me, I'm a good person. I'm here for a reason. I deserve to be here and I'm talented regardless of if they're seeing it in the moment. Like, like don't give up on yourself. If even if other people give up on you, because at the end of the day, the only person who's ever going to be there for you is yourself. I think that's the biggest thing I would say. Nailed it. I love that. It's that self-belief, right? Yeah. There's a home out there for you. If you've, if you've got that drive, the desire and the willingness to do what you have to, to, to play for another four or five years. Clearly, yeah. you know that clearly yeah. you know that, right? Never give up. No, ever. ever. There's always, anytime you're faced with adversity, use it as an opportunity to get stronger. Don't let it beat you. I love that. I absolutely yeah. love it. So you've got another year and a half at BC. Yes. And then next after that, do you have any game plan for that? You want to go play overseas, play North America? Are you thinking about joining the workforce? So I actually, I want to coach. I've spent the last six summers as a coach with the Boston Lady Whalers, which is a youth summer program um, in Massachusetts. And I used to play there myself and then kind of switched into the coaching role while I was still playing. And now that I aged out, I just coach and I, I love it. I love what I do. I love my kids. I love everything about it. And so I just took over this past um, September as the director or the executive director of, uh, of the program. So now I'm kind of seeing it from a different side as well as the coaching portion, but I definitely know that like, I want to coach one day. I haven't decided what level or like where things like that. I kind of just, I want to see what, where women's hockey is at by the time I graduate school. I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of new things and, just like changes there's always changes but just a lot in the next you know year year and a half that if I have my eyes set on one thing you know could change so I'm kind of just going to be you know flexible with the situation and see where it takes me but I don't think you know after my time is done at at BC I don't think my time and my skates will be done so I definitely think I want to play and coach and be involved because I like you kind of said in the beginning my journey is so unique so crazy but the best part about it was that I got to see so much and I got to pick up on a lot of things I got to realize just like a lot about coaching that I didn't really know before and I'll never I I'll never forget Paul Colantino who was the head coach at Robert Morris we had our first like individual meeting with players and I had, I had met him once on my recruiting visit. He had never seen me play anything like that. And he said, he was like, so Boyle, what do you want to do one day? And I was like, I want to be a coach. And he was like, you are, I saw him, oh God, two weeks ago. He's coaching for Selects Academy. And he was like, you're one of the few people who ever walked into my office and looked me in the face and said, I want to be a coach one day. And he was like, honestly, I think that was part of the reason why I was so hard on you. He's like, because I wanted to make you better. He was like, and I wanted to show you like what you need to do to tap into to some people and their potential. And so that was kind of cool. But I, again, like I've just seen so much 
in all these different perspectives that I want to, I want to make sure that kids have the ultimate experience. Michaela, I think anybody who will be, has been, is currently being coached by you are lucky. Your mindset is unbelievable. And I know you had to go through a lot to really appreciate and understand what's important. Um, but you're, you're an incredible human being as a person, but also as a player and, and a coach. So don't ever lose sight of that. If you need somebody to tell you that in those down moments, call me. Okay. Thank you're, you. you're incredible. And, and I, I hope everybody listening to this got that right. Adversity is going to yeah. hit if you respond, right. And, and you can give up, but when you know your why as to what you're doing and why you're doing it, it's, you're going to, you're going to find a way to, to bounce back. So thank you so much for sharing your story again, being vulnerable and, and, and everything. And, um, you know, I'm going to keep tabs on you. So you better go snipe some goals. Just not against UConn. Okay. It's my alma mater. <laughs> we got them on uh, Friday night. Oh, there we go. I got to check out the live stream for that one then. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some redemption on them. <laughs> well, I won't wish you too much luck. I'll wish you luck, but not, not everybody. <laughs> All right. That's fair. Kayla, thank you so much for being a part of the show, being, uh, being amazing. I really, really, truly appreciate this. Thank you so much for having me. You know, it's things like this that keep me going. Just remind, remind me that things have been worse and things have been better, but like, I still have the opportunity to do what I love every day. And that's what matters. And that's a blessing. It is. I love it. College forever. Yes, I know. Thank you everybody for, uh, for listening. And uh, until next time, keep chasing your dreams.